Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 5858. Rob Pizzola here, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. What's up? Hey, Rob. Solo episode this week. We got just Rob and I. No guest, but we got a jam-packed uh, list of topics. I've been waiting for this episode for four days now to record since oh, no. Sunday after the Formula One race. If you guys date back to a, approximately a year ago when... Uh, I tried Rob to find I, the episode. I don't remember the episode number, but whoever's listened to the entire suite of Circles Off would probably vividly remember this argument. We had an argument that Rob was saying that whoever was pole position at Monaco Grand Prix would always win the race because you can't pass at that. And, and last year, he wanted to bet. He wanted to do a max degen bet on Charles Leclerc. And I vetoed him saying Verstappen was going to win the race. We did a gentleman's bet, me versus Rob. We staked something, forget what it was. And then the morning of the race last year, Leclerc, who's the Ferrari driver, had pole position, meaning he starts in first. And in the practice of, of, of like leading up to the race, not the actual the formation, like lab, in the, in like the actual, just lead up to the race, he realized that he had a mechanical issue with his engine. Um, which what is his team doing? So I could build that car. No problem. <laughs> but he, he had a, he had a mechanical issue with his engine and he was forced to withdraw from the race, thus giving Verstappen who was supposed to start in second pole position. He went on to win the race landslide. No questions asked. No one passed him. I said, I was right because I bet Verstappen. Rob free rolled me and then veto and then pulled my wager, canceled my wager like the scumbag he is. And hit the drop, please. We got to hear that one. We still have that on the on the board. How big of a scumbag I am. <laughs> How big of a scumbag is he? Canceled my wager after he free rolled me. Verstappen ended up winning the race. He voided the bets and then proceeded to say he was still right because Verstappen started in pole and won the race. Flash forward one year roughly to the date and we have another one charles leclerc starting in pole position again mm-hmm. in the same track and what happened okay so everything johnny has said so far is accurate now the morning of the race last year just to clear my name you allowed me to void the no, wager. No, no. I, I, i'm actually talking shit i yeah. allowed him to void the wager you you in good faith said listen i, I can't make this wager in good faith now Leclerc had a gearbox problem. He was very devastated and whatever. The bet was actually Leclerc versus the field. I had Correct. everyone you had everyone else. Yeah. I woke up that morning. I remember clearly. We were in Florida together, and I woke up probably 15 minutes before the race, and I was going to jam Leclerc. At, and I'm bringing up, and I'm like, this guy's off the board. Why is this guy not listed everywhere? And then I turned on the TV and figured out why. But okay, that race was great weather last year. Now, it's very different to this year. I'm going to pull up a quote. I took I took a picture of this. Yeah, to clear I, his name. I was golfing during the Monaco Grand Prix, and I was following the Sky Sports live blog. Here is a quote that came through on the Sky Sports live blog. Max Verstappen starts fourth on the grid, and he's keeping his fingers crossed for a spot of good fortune. His quote, We need a bit of luck with the strategy or a safety car because, of course, you can't pass around here. Next line, Sky Sports F1's Natalie Pinkham then says that surely there must be a place in the circuit where an overtake might be possible. Verstappen's quote, they do not exist with these cars. You literally cannot pass on the track in this race. You can't. There is not enough space anywhere to actually pass. Now, the reason Leclerc lost was because of team strategy. And I'll give you that. That could have happened potentially last year as well. But because of the, the way that the race took place this year, where there were so many delays due to the rain at the beginning, teams were constantly going in and out of the pits to change tires, to put on slicks, intermediates, whatever. And Red Bull overtook Ferrari on a pit strategy this year. A few, a few people did pass on the course. Granted, it was not near the top of the... This course is a parade. Let's call it off for what it is. They drive around in the entire order, for the most part, unless there's a wreck or some sort of you know, passing in the pits, it, it very, very rarely happens, especially for a good driver out front. It is so, so rare. Well, all I recall is this. Last year, I believe on the podcast, Rob said, it's just a shame because we'll never be able to have that again where Leclerc starts pole position at Monaco and we could reenact his bet. And sure enough, only one year, approximately to the date, 
it happens again. And sure enough, the kid comes out on top again. Max Verstappen didn't win this no, year. Sergio Perez But won. Perez won. I meant the kid as in me came yes. out on top of this, uh, this bet, this fake wager. Um, but yeah, crazy stuff. Obviously, re- we're just, it's, it's like, it's nice. It's nice to be right about these. There's a I mean? lesson to be learned here. And this is for anyone, not just myself. And it's actually can apply to sports betting as well. Never speak in terms of absolutes. The minute you speak in terms of an absolute, you open yourself up to disaster. Like never say, I'm saying never now. I'm trying to not use that vocabulary. Don't, don't say like, this could never happen. Or this team is a lock. This team will win. So on and so forth because sports are crazy. With that said, Charles Leclerc last year was minus 110, I believe at the time, after qualifying. That should have been priced at minus 1,000. That was a bigger edge than Floyd Mayweather. Oh no, this guy, here he goes again. Against Conor <laughs> McGregor. That, that, that I said was a once in a lifetime, but really Charles Leclerc last year in good weather was truly a once in a lifetime. No, no, it was not. It was, it was. He also didn't even have that good a car last year and he's an inferior driver still. It doesn't is, matter, but the car doesn't matter. Year. Yeah, it does. Look at and, how many years at Monaco that, that Lewis Hamilton just like held on on. He didn't even pit one year. There was one year where he just stayed out on the same crap tires because it was the only way he could win the race and he was able to hold on. He's a good driver. Well, hell of a driver. Well, I mean, he's no George Russell this year. <laughs> he's a hell of a driver. But it's, uh, yeah, n- never speak in terms of absolutes. And, um, you know, I will say last year, have you ever made a 100% Kelly bet in your life? Because that's what I was going to do with Charlotte Leclerc last year. 100% Kelly, entire bankroll on Charlotte Leclerc. Don't even, not even joke about that. And he would have lost at minus 1,000. No. No, at minus 110. You would have played it, it up doesn't, to minus 1,000. I would have I ran out of money to play, play <laughs> it last year. I would have been depositing all the, all the at that time, no legals in Ontario. I would have been depositing all the Bitcoin I had into offshores to place those bets. But we go on. I, I still don't want to, like, I won't give you credit for that. It's just like, when do I get the credit then? Next I, year? I, I, when I, he starts pull again, loser? I got three, I got to get three of them? When somebody, when a leader in a Monaco race gets passed on track... Then in a, like a in regular weather conditions, I'll give it to you. Okay. It'll, it'll it'll probably happen once in our lifetime. I'll call yeah, you up yeah, when I'm when I'm 68 years old, and happen. I'll be like, you know, it it finally happened. If it'll they're happen. still racing there, no one even likes racing there anymore. It'll it's happen. a disaster. Zach, what else happened in sports this week? Well, uh, Tuesday night, Avalanche Oilers game one, and uh, the NHL officiating has continued to stir up some controversy here. Kale McCarr, offside, no offside, pulled the office this morning to see what everybody thought. So it was pretty interesting. Everybody was on either side, but it's uh, causing a bit of a storm right now. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I, w- I wasn't watching live. You don't watch a lot of live sports now, uh, do you? I actually was watching that. that live? Um, like, I, I believe... So I was watching it at a, like after hockey at the bar. Nice. So it's not like I was watching the actual play live and I called it, but yeah, saw it on the TVs. No volume. Yeah, I was playing basketball two hours later. I was got to my phone. My phone was blowing up about this whole offside thing. Here's the thing. I, first, we, this can be a broader discussion about replay in sports, which I have a lot of opinions on. A lot of yeah, opinions same on. Yeah, honestly. This was, clear, this was clearly an offside. Clearly. According Wait, to the rules. Are we, are we discussing the play where he pulls the puck in, but then does not touch it? Correct. Until, yeah, yeah. It's allowed. It's it, it. It is sorry. Clearly onside. Yeah. Clearly, clearly onside. Clearly not offside. Ap- apologize. Apologies. Clearly, according to the current rules, onside. And you know, there's a lot of upset Edmonton Oilers fans who have one angle where it appears like McCarr's touching the puck in the zone. He wasn't. Like, look at all alternate angles, and that's what the league is doing. With that said, the rules are so dumb. How dumb? It's not only the NHL. Most most sports. It's not hard to come up with rules. Wait, why is that dumb, you're saying? Just because the average fan can't understand it. It's so complex, a rule for no reason. What are you saying, the offside rule? We played hockey when we were kids. Yeah, I, also refer- simple was, I also refereed hockey. How quite simple a bit. was offside when we were younger, when we were playing or watching hockey when we were the younger? Same, it's the same now. But it's not. Like It depends if, you're, if your skate's up off the ice. It's like a plane no, now. It was, it's honestly, it's always the same. Like those, you got to just make every rule quantifiable via like, evidence the only thing that's subjective and offsides are 100 be removed is if you have possession of the puck you're allowed to enter skates first whereas if not that should just be removed because possession is subjective so it's like 
if you, oh, oh, this guy had it, but like, did he have control? Was oh, only one hand was on his stick? Like, how do you define possession of the puck? It's so, it's so unclear. So I think other than that though, it's fine. Just outside of that whole, like if you have possession, you can enter skates first. But in this particular scenario, like he enters the zone, does not touch the puck. So he pushes it ahead, does not touch the puck. And then the zone clears his skate still on the line. Other skates touching the line onside play. It's all, it's very black and white. It's the same as if you were coming the opposite direction. I agree. But there, your, your point is, is, is correct. There's like an interpretation of whether or not he has possession. It's the same thing as but what that, happened a couple so weeks that ago. That wasn't even in this play though. This play had nothing to do with like possession of the puck because in to, for it to be offside, you, you have your puck has to be touching either a skate or a stick or right. a bo- any body part. So that has no, has nothing to do with like yes, McCarr did have possession in that, but also like that would be up for debate. But it didn't even matter in this situation. It's like, is it touching a stick or a skate? You you always in offside need like one freeze frame where you can freeze it and then determine it, it, it's if it's really play an is easy offside. play to call. Regardless, the ones that like a la- couple weeks ago we had Edmonton Calgary. With the, the the goal that got disallowed because of uh, distinct kicking motion. Yeah, that's just these are just like bananas. These, these are, are so subjective. Exactly, like the guy was stopping, going towards the net, and it hit his skate and went in. Right? What's a distinct kicking motion? To me, a distinct kicking motion is you try to kick the puck like it's a soccer ball. But th- this is I I hate rules. What that, about the goalie interference? It's like all is, of that is the guy like they have no actual clear. They they put a little thing on a paper in the rule book that's like okay, this is what goalie interference and it's always up to interpretation same with pass interference exactly stuff like that that's stu- that stuff drives me crazy but so so i always have problems with the rule itself if the rule is open to interpretation i think it's a shitty rule plain and simple but on top of that then you get these periods where you have like 10 minutes of review like l- watch the end of an nba game the last two minutes of an nba game it's nauseating how many i touched it oh they, they, you know and it's very clear like so so many of them are clearly out of bounds off of one guy, but the refs got to walk over to review it themselves, put on a head. This can be solved in literally five seconds. There could be a ref with an earpiece where a guy's like, you know, it's Hawks ball, it's heat ball. But they walk over, they put on, they watch every single possible angle of it. To, it's like, what are we doing here at some point? I don't mind replay. I, I Like, I'm all for getting things right. I really am to a certain extent. When it starts taking away from the game, how many NFL ones have we had where it's like, okay, this guy is in the end zone. The ball is in the end zone. There's 48 people, you know, there's a bunch of people on top of him. You can't see the exact, there was a Dak Prescott quarterback sneak this year where it was like, he, he couldn't, he went, you know, they, they snapped the ball from the, the one inch line or whatever. He went forward with the ball. He's laying in the end zone. There's no conclusive view. That's the another thing. Conclusive views in sports Someone pick what was most like what most likely happened. Yeah, no, I agree. Play. I agree. Like the the most the most bananas thing within the replays is first off, anything that can be solved with like technology, just use it. So like if you can put some sort of sensor in any of the ball, puck, whatever, that can actually determine that. Just an absolute no brainer. Like you should have you should never ever have an issue of like having to go to video review to be like, did this break the plane or did this did this puck cross the line? That should just be a simple, simple thing that could be done via technology but by putting like any sort of chip device inside the puck that has like a certain radius. You have like those Apple phone things you could buy that senses that everything you walk by, toss in your card, like pinpoints a location directly. Like buy that thing for like 30 bucks. Put something in the in the tech, right? That's number one. But number two, on the instant replays, here's my biggest beef to pick. Yeah. When they're like the call on the field stands, it should never be the call on the field stand. The call on the field should only ever be if it's like literally it's a 50-50. But if it's 51-49, you should just go with the 51. Go with the, the thing that's more likely on the replay. Not, oh, we didn't get conclusive evidence, but obviously this guy recovered this fumble, but it wasn't conclusive, so we'll go with the call on the field, which is not. The call on the field is nothing. That's just a guy's humans running around calling that. If you can get a better angle later obviously just go with the whatever the angle that was best on the camera and the review that should be the call moving forward there should never be a thing of like the call in the field 
stands because there's not conclusive enough evidence to overturn the call on the field. The call on the field is, is garbage. It's yeah. like, it's it doesn't whatever. mean anything. Yeah, it means nothing. You should go to a neutral party who doesn't even know who the, what the call on the field is. Exactly. Just say, make a decision. Um, obviously a different sport, but I will say like tennis's review system is amazing. And not only that, I don't know if you've ever been to any live tennis events or whatever. But how quick is it for them to get the thing? Like, uh, it takes about 10 seconds. But that's what I'm saying. Why do they even need a challenge in tennis? Like if anything is close, the reality is that thing, the bird's eye view goes down so quick. Just like use that for every play. That's relatively close. I Maybe like I, we can debate that or not. But what I love is that it actually enhances the live event. Like when you're at a tennis match and it goes to review, like the crowd is excited. They're literally like everyone's like feet tapping on the ground. There's like a buzz. And then like it, some of the calls are so close that everybody's just going nuts when it happens. But it, it literally takes 10, 15 seconds. It enhances the event. It's not hard. That's just like pure, easy technology. Why can we not do that on the scoreboard in any given arena that doesn't involve a referee, uh, you know, like an official? Is It just should be so easy. How, how good would this be? The referee, first off, remove the, the referee having to go do that. It should all be done from some sort of box in central, one centralized location, third-party team. They're just the review team for every game that's going on at the time. Never have the actual official have to go over and do the review because they're also biased to the call in the field, whether it's some sort of inherent bias. Like, they just made a call. You obviously would rather be right than wrong. So you're going to be less likely to overturn your own call if you're reviewing that tip out of bounds or something like that. So it should just be... Soon as you need something, challenge goes to a thing. You set a timer of thirty seconds to over to overturn it, and the box it looks at all the angles. Maybe it's a minute. Whatever the camera in that room, in that studio room, there's going to be like two or three guys reviewing it. Whatever camera angle they're looking at, you play that on the jumbotron. Everyone's going to be going nuts. You play that on the actual TV, and then they submit their decision. It's like, this is the call in the field. That would be so much better entertainment, quick process, no more than 30 seconds, maybe a minute if you have to extend. But like some of these reviews, like they go to commercial break, then you come back and they're still at the monitor. I'm not even joking. I've taken my dog for a walk before in the time that it's taken them to review an NHL hockey play. I literally will be watching a game. They go to a review. I'm like, okay, Pasquale, let's go for a walk. We go around the block. He's an older guy now. He doesn't like to do long walks. I get home, it's still under review. Like, imagine being at that game, like watching. It's just, it's so, it's crap. Like, and we've had replay for so long now. These are, we're talking about like, in the NFL's case, like a billion dollar company. How did, you know, the, the stuff that goes on in the NFL. I love some of my favorites. We, we might've done this before, but I'm still going to do it anyways. One of my absolute favorites is when the referee goes to check like, whether it was a first down or not, comes back and he's like, I'm going to respot the ball and we're going to remeasure. Like like this is some sort of exact science and then it'll no, be the short chain, by like chain one link. chain link. I know, I, know. I forgot about that. Like th that is absurd to me that that still happens. And the, 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 the one that makes me just die of laughter every single time and probably makes you die too because I know special teams is a big part of, of, uh, of the game for you. The punts that go out of bounds. <laughs> where the referee runs 20 yards up the sideline and he's like really being influenced by whoever's on that sideline as well. Telling him where it went out of bounds, the fans are yelling and whatever. And he just picks like an arbitrary point to stop. Has and he just does this, like, literally yeah. no clue where it went out of, like zero clue. Cause he's so far away from that play. How, how is there not a chip in the ball, at least on special teams and down the sidelines? To say this is the like that's the easiest one to do by far because they use a different ball too for special teams right for kicking i mean those two i i honestly cry of laughter the every chain time link the that. chain link you, you you literally have to laugh at that because they bring it in and they're like it's not accurate like they put it down and it's <laughs> it's like done by two eye, guys running and then, across they're, and the then they're like this is the chain and so, bro sometimes they measure it and you're like well, that's short. And then I'll be like, first down. I'm like, oh, I just saw it on the thing. It didn't even Do you remember the it. year that it got the paper? The guy put the piece of paper yes. between the... Yes. What was that? Oh, man. I forgot about that thing. I, I don't remember vivid. Like, I remember it enough that they were checking if a pa piece of paper could fit. Like... <laughs> just, that was the best. That No, that was the best, man. Just make a call at that point. 
Like, honestly. Yeah, get these all out. Like, everyone complains about the officials because it's like, oh, it could impact a team or it could not. You get a good call, you get a bad call. But whatever you can automate via technology, just do it. And then for sure, like, the the process for, like, letting the human referee decide and then his call now gets preferential treatment is is just insane. Like, that, that should never be the case. You, it's like... It's like, let's say we're, we're trying to make a business decision and we're like, and then you're like, okay, I say we should do this. And we're like, okay, let's review it all. We review it all. And we're like, probably 60, 40 that we shouldn't do this. And we're like, well, it's not a hundred zero. So, so let's go with Rob's previous <laughs> yeah. call. It just doesn't make sense in any other facet except for in this one, or anything. Like you're trying to buy a new car, you and your wife trying to buy a new car. You're like, all right, all right let's get the, this one. You're going to just do whatever is the best at the end, whatever you decide at the end. Okay, sure. You're not going to be like, well, we initially wanted this this car. So since we're not 100% sold, we're going to go back to the in- initial decision that was made in a split second thing on the field. This makes no sense. It doesn't at all. Um, one point you brought up, which I found interesting because we also saw um, a little bit of, of a backlash, let's say, in the sports world about this is you brought up the, the point of referee bias. Referee might already have a bias based on their original call. Well, we had Tim Peel yesterday, NHL ref, who has basically come out on his Twitter and has admitted in the past that he sits down at blackjack tables and plays blackjack with players. Okay. I also just want to say too, so he tweeted this. I listened to another hockey show that he went on and he explained what happened. And I just want to throw this out there as well because you guys will find this funny. He tweeted at Brandon Dubinsky that, hey, we played blackjack together. It was fun. I'll come for a beer with you. That's the interaction that happened on Twitter. He told the story about them playing blackjack. He was out with Brandon Dubinsky a night before a game or something or after a game playing blackjack. Evander Kane comes over and asks Brandon Dubinsky for 5K because he needs a float to go and continue to play or whatever. (laughs) Brandon Dubinsky looks at him and says, give me your watch. Gives him like a 30K Rolex that was on his wrist wrist as collateral. Kane goes, comes back, 30K. He's got his money, gives him his five, takes his watch back. Amazing. Walks away. That's the story Tim Peel told. So there was even further context of what happened, but I had heard that story. That's crazy. That's crazy. I would say if you're an official for a sport, you should probably refrain from gambling with players. Yeah, just for the optics also. Like if you're an athlete in any league just like probably don't bet you know and definitely like you know just don't don't open up betting accounts in your own name because it's going to get called in the question and people are going to be like oh was i was i was this guy betting on his own games was he betting on other games just like don't do it same same deal with like officiating just like don't be buddies with any of the players that you're refereeing just, there's gonna even if you think oh yeah no, no i'm not biased i'm doing a good job i care about this job it just happens overall. You know, you like you like certain players more than others. You're going to potentially like certain teams more than others. Like, you know, it's just like... You just, you just never want to be like be called into question. Yeah. Even there, if, you, you, if might, you grew up an Ottawa Senators fan exactly. in Ottawa, like you shouldn't be refing Senators games or any games where like the Senators... or Like if you have that bias, you can't do that. Like you're like, oh, well, this guy's going to be professional. But what about you're refing a playoff game where the Sens could win the cup. They never won a cup before all your friends and family back home, massive centers fans. Like you can't do that. It's like, it's too easy to just be biased. Yeah. But like if you put, if I put myself in that position, right? Like now that now this is coming out years after the fact, right? But if that comes out in real time that you, you were at and nowadays with social media as well, somebody else sees you at a casino, a player at a casino, they take a picture, maybe post it or whatever. If you're, sitting at a blackjack table alongside an active player in the league next time anything it, it could be just dumb chance that you end up refing a game and you miss a call that's on that player or something like that then everything gets called into question like it's just dumb moves that you know it, it, it remind don't bet fifty dollars at FanDuel when you're on injured reserve on the team that you play on like it's just common sense stuff and people like are an uproar oh what when you know what did Calvin really do wrong or whatever it's like you know, in hindsight, not it's like not really 
not really a, a ton, but you got to have common sense sometimes. Yeah, it was that hard rock, actually. Hard no, rock. But, but same, same thing. Yeah, you just can't do that. Like, you can't bet on the game because then people are going to start swirling and question. And then it, then it becomes a line where it's no longer black and white. Like, if the rule is, if you bet on any an NFL game and you're in the NFL under contract, you're suspended for a year. As soon as you'd be like, he's like, dude, what did I do? I bet, literally bet 50 bucks. I bet $500. I don't care about some money. And I bet on the Falcons, not even against them. It's like, okay, then then what's the rule? Are you allowed to bet on well, any that, team not involving yourself? Are you allowed to bet, what is it, 500 bucks? Are you allowed to bet 1,000? What about 50,000? Because to, to some of these players, like to Mahomes, you think a $50,000 bet is a lot. It's probably like, that's like us betting 50 bucks, right? Based on salary. So how can we then go ahead and, and make that distinction? It always, like, it also reminded me of the Josh Gordon stuff, right? We have the Josh Gordon jersey in the, the back corner here, but I get it. Like, I don't think marijuana is a performance enhancing drug. I think, you know, players should probably be able to, to smoke marijuana or whatever. Vape, do whatever they want. But if you're playing in a league that explicitly prohibits you from doing that drug, and then you test positive for it, I don't have sympathy for you. It's tough. I, I, like, should, should it be a banned substance? We can debate that, you know. No, it, definitely, every, it definitely shouldn't be a banned right. substance, but it's like, this isn't even about like the legal system of the world where you can start debating and it's like, well, what are the people? And this is like a private organization, exactly. the, N, the NFL, where like you have to just do things like, I don't know. I, and, I, and definitely this comes back to that, the officiating, because it's when you can make rules that are black and white, where it's like, did he do this or did he not do this? At any time, if you want to change that rule down the road in the off season, be like, okay, this year you're allowed this, these substances, fine. But as long as it's banned for that year, do not do it. Otherwise, face the exact consequences. And they literally should have the exact thing charted out. It's like we talk about sports books posting their own betting sheet. It should be this. Suspended for performance enhancing drugs, 50 games uh, banned for MLB. Second time, one year banned. Third time, lifetime banned. That's it. Like, there's you can't be like, oh, well, this one was a different case by case basis because this guy needed this for whatever. It's like, was that a banned drug or not? You, you got to know what you're doing. It's, it's on the player to follow the rules. Agreed. In, in this scenario. I mean, listen, maybe I'm more or old school in this sense, but it always surprises me whenever something like this happens, how just the general public is very quick to defend the player. It's like, oh, you're going to suspend him for that. You're going to give him a year for that and whatever. You're going to fine him that much for that. It's like, well, I mean, the players know what the rules are. It's very explicit. It's very clear cut. It's not like leagues are making this stuff up as they go along. Banned substances, very easy. You know, but you can't bet on, on the, the sport that you play. It's very simple to follow these rules. And like, you know, at the end of the day. Nick Diaz got couldn't fight for years because he, he smoked marijuana, which like he's, he openly smoked weed and currently does every day. Yeah. But it's just like. It's tough to actually go ahead and feel bad for him when like that's just the rule. Should that rule be taken out? 100%, absolutely. But until it is, you got to like you got to figure it out or face the consequences. It's especially difficult for me to feel bad for Nick Diaz because I have met both him and Nate before. When I was working at the Score back in the day, Hardcore Sports Radio, we used to have uh, a lot of MMA fighters into town uh, and in studio and they were together one time. No no word of a lie. Very snowy day in Toronto, and we used to be at uh, the Hyatt. At the time, it was actually, uh, I don't remember what the hotel was called. It's irrelevant, but it's right in downtown Toronto on the street, and walked them out after the show. I think they were waiting for a cab or something like that, and these guys are just picking up snowballs and firing them at people that are walking by. I'm not joking. You just like random people. Like I don't a, think you told them. I'm not even is. joking. Like a, a, a dad with like his kid. And they're firing snowballs and he turns around. They're like, what are you going to do? What are you going to, you want, you're you going to do something about it and whatever. And these people are moving on. I, I was like completely taken back by that. Just the most just hitting random, just, just random people. Yeah. Like, oh, this is great. Like not even at each other or at us who they like, they knew it was just like randoms on the street. And I'm not talking like, just like, ah, uh, you know quick underhand toss. They were rocketing snowballs at people walking by. Whether they were dead on or the other way, they were having a, an absolute blast doing this. And they might have indulged in some uh, substances as well while they were at the studio as well, which maybe contributed to this a little bit more. But I will never forget that. And honestly, from that day forward, I didn't really like those guys. 
they saw this, they would want to beat the crap out of me. But they already did that day as well. I was not, I was not that guy that was always telling the UFC fighters like, oh, we got to, you know, we can't do this here. We can't do that there. And I'll remember, you know, another story, just random, very random off topic. But my host at the time um, that I was producing for, Gabe Morenci, used to tell the fighters when they came in that I bet against them in their last fight. He used to tell this to every single fighter. Some of them were hilarious reactions. Like he, he did it to Heath Herring. Heath Herring got destroyed by Brock Lesnar. Like absolutely just creamed for three rounds. Like Lesnar killed him. And Heath Herring comes in and Gabe's like, oh, this guy won a lot of money betting on Brock against you. Heath Herring's like, great bet. <laughs> great, great bet. I, you know, he's like, yeah, I was trying, but like I couldn't do anything. Josh Koscheck came in one time. Gabe's like, oh, this guy bet on GSP against you. Won a lot of money. Koscheck, like he absolutely <laughs> lost it on me. He he was so furious. And I was like, I didn't actually. I'm trying to tell this guy I didn't actually. He's like, well, why would he say that then? When I'm like, he didn't actually. Um, uh, so that was great. And then Dana White one time. First time I ever met Dana White. He's just walking around the score studios. The funniest thing with pictures of himself autographing them for people and just handing them out. So I have a signed Dana White picture. <laughs> First time I ever met Dana White, he's like, oh, hey, you, you know, you're a fan of UFC? I'm like, yeah, I'm a fan. He just like signed the picture of himself and, and gave it to me. But I used to love those days, the UFC fighters, except for the ones that um, they, they couldn't really take a joke, like Josh Koscheck, who was like livid, livid. Never, never seen something like, honestly, I thought he was going to clock me. He may not be able to take a joke, but that guy could take a punch. That's for sure. He could. He was a great wrestler at the time. He was a great fighter. I actually like really like Josh Koscheck too because I used to watch for, Ultimate he Fighter. For the belt a couple times. I think he fought twice. Definitely versus GSP once. Yeah, and then I think he fought once more. But that's that's funny, funny stuff. All right, what else we got, Zach? Uh, up next, we got tweets that trigger us. I don't know what we're yelling about. I've never seen you, man. I get paved. Why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? It's only a game. Why do you have to be mad? I think we got four this week. I'm pretty sure we got four. There was, I, I, I'm going to apologize. I know Johnny said last time we did this segment that we will air every single one of these that gets tweeted at us. A couple of them were really personal. They had nothing to do with anything. I got some DMs from people who are like, I need you to go after this guy. He's a scammer or whatever. I'm like, this is not what this is about. Like if you find a particular tweet. So there's a couple that we got this week that will not be aired because they were a little bit more personal. I'm not doing this just to take shots at people. Unless you're the sweat investor, then maybe I'll go after you. But aside from that, I'm gonna, we're just going to try to keep it to some learning lessons. Although there's one in here that is completely unrelated to gambling, which, which honestly... Maybe the most triggered I've ever been in my entire life. Before we get into the first one too, I also just want to shout out, um, we had Spreadopedia on, Jason Weingarten, last week. So if you haven't listened to that, go and listen to it. But we talked about, and Rob mentioned how he was the king of international and specifically Mexican baseball. He put out a tweet the other day and he said, how much money do you have to bet on Cuban baseball before you're betting more than the players playing in the game are making. <laughs> and I thought that was like... It's probably... Wait, making per game? It's probably not that Not that. I, I actually have no idea. Cuban baseball salaries can't be that much. No. No, well, there was depends tons on of the replies. Like, obviously, there's a lot of great players came out of Cuba. Yeah. But... Okay, so one of the Yassiel replies... Is we go to Cuba? Yeah, he's yeah, he's Cuban. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's Cuban. Man, when I bet... I or think Jorge I told, Soler, I think, was Cuban I told this well. story in the pot already, man. The most triggered I've been during a bez when I bet him to win the, the home run derby, and he got zero. <laughs> because you, he had no... Because he had no coach throwing the game. He didn't even know that he had to bring someone to throw pitches to him. Did I tell it on the pot or no? You, well, I haven't heard it. I, I just want to tell one story really quickly. You can tell this story for sure. But we do the D-Gen fund in the office, which... For those that don't know, anyone in the office can place a bet, period. We have a, we have a combined bankroll. They could suggest a bet. Suggest a bet. You just ha- we just have to bet it at the best possible number, period. And we're trying to grow our bankroll from a few thousand up to 100K just by betting the best prices. That was the premise. We started this about a year ago. This DGEN fund was absolutely flying. 
We caught some huge winners. One day, Johnny's like, I'm sending it on the home run derby. Locked in all these bets, I will say. Very good prices. That day was made the, some back live. Was the made darkest some back day live, in DGen fund history. It was. It was. It was on the der- man. My derby record. I swear. I go one year lights out. One year absolute bath. Next year lights out. Next year bath. Luckily, I got live Pete Alonzo last year to help save some some of the DGen profits, but. Yeah, not a great day. I, I loaded up on Otani, and he just got absolutely rinsed. He, he was he was actually Johnny was really depressed in our Degen Fund Telegram yes. chat. He's like, "I'm so sorry, boys. I'm really sorry. I'll make it up to everybody. I'm, I'm so." But it was just like half hour before the derby. He's like, "Guys, got some amazing numbers, locking them in Degen Fund," and I'm just like refreshing like a, a, a Kentucky like Derby, Otani, uh, like not Otani Kentucky Otani. Home Run Derby live blog on my phone. I'm like this guy. These derby if, I, if I told this already on the pod, I, I apologize, but I bet Yasiel Puig to win the home run derby. I did a ton of research. just like, oh, this guy's going to be good. Whatever. He's hitting, mashing bombs. Distance is good. Comes out. He doesn't have a guy to pitch to him for the derby. You need to bring your own like coach or some guys use like their dad if they want to make it a, a cool thing. Or like a guy's brother might come out that he played ball with when he's growing up. Puig comes up, doesn't speak a lick of English. <laughs> And just doesn't know that he has to bring a guy. There's not many other guys that are speaking his language. So he finds a guy that's speaking his language. Like, you need a guy to pitch for you. He goes up. He doesn't have any. He gets a substitute. They didn't even, this guy didn't even warm up. It was Robinson Cano's dad was <laughs> pitching to him because he had no guy. And he's the only guy that also spoke the same language. Cano's dad's pitching to him. Zero chemistry. Zero timing. Guy goes... For the whole derby, shut out. Zero dingers. I was, I literally threw my hat. I was like so pissed off. I, I can't believe I even bet this guy. And to that day forward, I will never bet another guy at the derby who doesn't have a, at least someone with chemistry or like a batting coach throwing to him, uh, like a hitting coach throwing to him. Otherwise you're just done. The derby uh, um, bets, like there's always like rules every year, right? Never bet a guy whose dad throws to him. In, if his dad's like, because just look, his dad might literally be like 70 years old. Don't bet that guy. There's a derby rule where you're not supposed to be able to throw the next pitch until the other, the, the previous, you know, hit has come down. And I think p- partly it's for the protection of the kids in the outfield who are getting these liners just smashed directly. at. Like, well, I can only imagine some kid looking up for a pop fly and then some guy lines a ball at him, right? Yeah. They, they, they never, they, they don't care about yeah, that. But now rule. they move the rules again where it's like, now it's just number of strikes where like you put the but they change every year but anyways yeah that's my derby story i think it told for but uh let's go into the tweets that trigger us all right first one we got here all right matt landis friend of the program very nice dude uh props and hops you should check it out i highly recommend it uh posted um one of the episodes that he did with fabian somer suma um which was around closing line friend of the pod friend of the pod friend i'll call him a friend Regards regards from Canada, Fabian. Regards from Canada. Anyways, we get a response from Sean York at Yorkie NHL Tips. This is in response to closing line value. It is about covering the spread. Closing line value means shit. You got to be on the right side. Here's why this really triggers me. Because the right side is the one that got closing line value. Almost every single time. Now, he's implying that you need to win your bet in order for it to be valuable. And we've talked about this before as well. At the end of the day, I've seen this happen a million times before. We were actually out for lunch with some guys yesterday, fellow bettors of ours that we were talking about. This happening to them before. People get limited on accounts that they're losing on. Happens very regularly right now. You might ask yourself, why would someone who's losing money on an account get limited? It's because they're getting good closing line value. And this is what the sports book has determined is a predictor of them winning in the long run. Plain and simple. So when people say, oh, closing line value doesn't matter. You just need to have the right side or whatever. Realize that sports books will limit you for good closing line value. Yeah, in in big enough doses, like if you're betting right before a line moves or something like that and you actually anticipate that move or are moving the market yourself, obviously they're going to limit you. 
based on that. So that's the right side. Agreed. There's like, I, I, I hate, I hate these ones. I really hate them. Like the whole notion of, ah, oh, you know, I've been beating, I've been beating the market on my last five bets and they all lost. It's like, okay. Yeah. 99% of the time, obviously there's scenarios in which it, it doesn't for, you know, manufactured reasons, but 99% of the time, the right side is going to be, if you got like the side that, and by the way, it's like, it's all number dependent. So what number did you get? The right side is whatever the best number was relative to the close. This is coming from someone who consulted for sports books for many years. You are way more likely to get limited if you are losing but getting closing line value than if you are winning and getting negative closing line value. So process that because now you have sports books with all access to a ton of information. They're more likely to give you a big bet if you are winning but not getting closing line value. And you can obviously use that to your advantage as better as well if that's um, something you're so inclined to do. But that's just uh, a fact. So period. Up ne- next. Oh, this is the one. Oh my God. Okay, so- Is this a joke? This has had to be a joke though. I need, so no, no one, for you watching on YouTube or for you listening, I would suggest that you, you fast forward to this part on YouTube just so you can see the pictures. If you haven't already. If you haven't already, but this tweet went viral. It's from Lamar Jackson, who happens to be one of my favorite quarterbacks, at LJ underscore era eight. So the tweet, first time golfing dress code, check mark. I mean, he looks good. This is good golf attire. Big fan of, of the blue shirt, blue Nikes, everything else. You got a bunch of emojis like, uh, you know, the, the squirrely face, laugh out loud, whatever. Basically, he's saying like everything else, not as good as the golf dress code. Louis Domingue, not the best. Not the best. At Tiger Woods, I need a couple of pointers. Seems like a very innocent tweet. It's just a f- few pictures of him out on the course. You know, the first picture is him bedding down to put a tee in the ground. The third picture is him getting into his golf cart. This second picture is this guy lining up a four foot putt, basically with a wedge and a tee in the green. green. On the green. And the left pick, if you watch, is him teeing up something on the green. Like, this this has to be a joke. Uh, Honestly, but I was going through the replies. I was seeing if he said anything about it being a joke or anything like that, and I couldn't find it. If this is real, it is actually... My anger level is at a, a 100. Like, he is holding a wedge right now. That's not a putter. It's a wedge. You can see the angle of the thing. There's a tee in front of him and the ball is right next to the hole. Like he just chipped the ball. Like he obviously didn't actually chip it. This is his place manufactured for a picture. Also his, his, his tee, like is teed up high <laughs> for a wedge also. Like it's just funny. Yeah, the tee. I, I, it's I, gotta I, be a joke. If it's not a joke and he actually just teed up a thing on the green and then hit it into the hole, but it's a, good, it's a joke. But it says like, here's the thing. Here's why I thought it might not be a joke. Because he says it's first time in the tweet. Like he, he, he doesn't know anything about golf, right? Like he's saying my, my golfing dress code, check mark, dress nice, looks, looks great out there. Everything else, Tiger Woods, I need a couple pointers. And then he's got a tee in the green with a wedge in his hand. And this looks like, by the way, I don't know what course this is. This looks like pristine conditions. Imagine you were a member at this course and you saw Lamar Jackson teeing it up on the green. I would absolutely lose my mind. And I've, I've, I've struggled with this one for a long time because I don't That's know if it's real, completely unrelated to betting. There's no less. Well, there is a lesson to be learned here. Don't tee it up on the green. Don't you, you putt on the green. No tees are involved. Your putter's there. That's what you do. If you look at his cart also, it appears he only has one bag in the cart. So it's like a solo cart also. Maybe, maybe it's real. I hope it's real. <laughs> I actually hope it's real. All right, next. All right, Raheem Palmer, at I am Rostradamus. That's not actually a bad Twitter handle. It's pretty good. Clever. Uh, feels like beating the closing line due to injuries is a death sentence in the NBA today. Miami was a consensus minus one and a half slash minus two point favorite. Horford and Smart get announced out. Line goes to minus five. And they get cooked. I've been on the wrong side of this so many times this year. This was on May 17th, 2022. At 9.31 p.m. Do you know what happened in this game, Johnny? I remember it just because we talked, but I'm, I'm pretty sure 
they they won. This is a premature tweet. I'll call it. The Heat won the game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they came back in the third and, and won. And they covered, big they covered the spread. Now, that's not why I bring this up. Because whether they won or not is irrelevant. Again, job done. But Wait, but did Miami ever even close minus five? In, I don't think they did. Let me pull up the history. Pull, pull up the betting history. What which day is this from? It's uh, May 17th. By the way, that stamp coming out with line history very shortly. Check out the new update when it goes live. But... These, the frustration tweets really get me of I beat the line or I consistently am beating the line and I'm losing. Okay, I mean, you do have the option. You have another option in this case. And a lot of people do this for NFL, which is not uncommon here, where you can actually wait for, if you think that there's some sort of market inefficiency and the number is always getting pushed too far, you end up losing the bet or for whatever reason, there's some sort of hidden factor here where maybe a team tries harder. I don't know what, what people might, might think, but you could wait you have an option of waiting. Like if you're just going to complain that you're losing a bunch of bets over and over when you're trying to get out ahead of it, then you have the option of waiting for the injury news to happen, for the market to steam, for even to steam even more, and then to bet the other side. That's why I hate the frustration type of tweets. That's one part of it. The second though is obviously, I'm a sports better. I can't say that I've never done this before. I try not to do it anymore as well. But like the first half tweets of like, this game is over. Oh, this has no chance. How many times do we have to watch sporting events before people learn their lesson about calling the game over before it's over? For me, it was in the thousands of games that I had to watch before <laughs> learning that lesson. Maybe the tens of thousands. So, okay, he's right on the line history, by the way. It did happen like that. So what happened was he, he bet Miami at one and a half or minus two which was an incredible number because they closed four and a half. So just looking at closing line, it closed basically. And it probably could have been like five four, at some. Four and a half, five. Yeah. So let's call it even five. That's an incredible CLV. Yep. Looking at at least like five to 7% CLV in, in the minimum. Obviously depends how you grade uh, NBA. And basically they he tweeted this mid game. What time was it then? That was 9.31. So 9.31. So that was probably at around the halftime when the Heat were down. And then they ended up pulling up an incredible third quarter in which they outscored Boston 39-14. to 14, And they win the game by 11. Yeah. So he, he literally won this bet and was on the right side and had an incredible number, great CLV, and won the bet. Yeah. Called it. That's it. That's funny. That's it. Final one. Rastradamus. Rastradamus. Raheem Palmer. Um, the best one. The best one. Here's one for the circles off tweets that trigger me. People who promote their Discord slash Telegram service by cherry picking the one sprinkle bet that they actually hit. Meanwhile, the rest of the chat could cover a three-tiered cake with all the sprinkles that get posted. This is from Reverend Justin at Church of CLV. Didn't notice that handle before. Also a great one. Uh, but yes. Okay. This, there's some examples here for those who are watching live of a same game parlay that hits really big. I hate when people say to sprinkle on a game. I'm victim. I'm sorry. I'm guilty of doing this. Before. Everyone tweet search Rob Pizzola sprinkle and see what see what comes well, up. Well, here's the th you know, 100%. You'll find some. I'm not even going to delete them. I don't delete tweet history. I own everything that came up in the past. Doesn't matter to me. And for sure, you will find me saying it. But the reason that it bothers me so much is that when you tell someone to sprinkle on a game and it hits, when people do this. They're very quick to pat themselves on the back, but they never talk about the sprinkles that lose because most of these are big underdogs. So you're losing the vast majority of these before you hit one. Now, this is a huge hit. Like, don't get me wrong. It's like a same game parlay, you know, plus 11,404. But I hate the notion of people giving out picks and telling people to sprinkle on something. Sprinkle is nothing. What is that? Is it a tenth of a unit? Is it a half unit? Like, what is, what is a sprinkle? And like... Yeah, I think this is a great tweet because it happens so much in the space that attention needs to be called out to it. People are always promoting themselves by the sprinkles. Massive. Hey, I'm just going to save some people some time here. No, no. April 9th, 2015. 2015. Okay, here we go. That was b b before I was a professional better, by the way. Going to make the Sens a rare two-unit play and sprinkle on Sens minus one and a half plus, plus 350 as well. Don't agree with this line whatsoever. There's more. There's I can tell that there's more. <laughs> no, okay, that's fine. That's but, from but 2015. You're, uh, it, you're what's the most recent one? 
Uh, I'm very curious. Th- this is the most recent one I find right now. Uh, you replied to somebody about uh, futures bets in the NHL. Columbus, 14 to 1, best value on the board. You go through a couple others, and then you go longer shots worth a sprinkle. Mm. Are Edmonton, 40 to 1, Calgary, 50 to 1, and Montreal, 50 to 1. Is that for this year? November 27, 2017. Oh, 2017. It's been a long time. Oh, I can confirm none of those teams won. They did not win, but you know what? They were only a sprinkle. So you didn't lose much off yeah, of them. You didn't, you didn't no. put in the track. But, but at the end, I, so if that's the last one, 2017, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm practicing what clear, I preach at this point. I'm clear. But yeah. There's one more that we didn't, we couldn't find the tweet for, but uh, a couple people had saw it. I really should have screenshot and sent it in, but. Save it. We'll save it. We'll, be, we'll get it in the next Are one. Are we going to get that one? Yeah. No, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. relevant now. The, the, that Jimmy Butler one. Oh, so, so somebody, uh, like I, I forget who it was, but someone with a pretty big following tweeted out and said like, Gonna take a shot on this one. Jimmy Butler to lead the series in points. This was after game five. So going into he had game six and seven. Butler was like 30 points back of of uh Tatum and ends he ends up cashing. It was massive. It was plus fifteen thousand. Um or maybe it was hundred and fifty thousand. No, actually it was, it, it was fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand, yeah. sorry. So Butler has two massive games, game six and seven. He'd obviously lose, but he he ends up winning it uh by a couple points. And this guy and this guy was like fired up. He obviously tweets out a screenshot like, "What a cash! Amazing, amazing cash! Great, great bet!" Honestly, like he cashed it. That's not the t- the trigger me part. The trigger me part is a guy responded under him saying like, "Let's go! I rode this one with you." And he posts a screenshot of his winner. <laughs> but this guy and he only bet five dollars. That's not the point of the thing. Like he bet it instead of at fifteen thousand. The initial guy posted a DraftKings screenshot fifteen thousand. So he, his bet was, I think like, whatever you want a couple thousand. Then this other guy posted, but he only got 7,500 a plus 7,500 got half. Well, not, it's not necessarily half, but yeah, he could have doubled his payout. Literally so, could have doubled it. So he bet only five bucks, won 300. And the other guy literally like he just, if he just had DraftKings, which like pretty much everywhere FanDuel is available. Actually, I'm pretty sure every single place, the jurisdiction that FanDuel is available, DraftKings is also available. So he could have had DraftKings. And double his profit. He would have made an extra 300 bucks from a $5 bet. Point being, it's not about this initial guy's screenshot. It's not about posting screenshots. It's not about how much money you bet. It's like, this guy's like, I rode with you. I tailed you. But he literally got half his payout because he didn't get the best number. Hilarious. And it's like, don't be that guy. But don't be that guy. But also, how did he bet it knowing that? Oh, it's just crazy. Because like, people aren't price sensitive at all. But for five bucks, like, you should have another screenshot. Like, just have, sorry, have another sports book. Like, have a couple books, even if you don't want 20. Like, I get it if you don't want 20. But have, like, five or six. At least have the main odd sets. That way, when a bet like this comes across and you're betting something as egregious as, like, a 7,500, plus 7,500, you can up that to a plus 15,000. 15, for, for no additional fees. Like, okay, I'll bet my five at DraftKings. Like, everyone should have enough money if you're betting to keep, and you know, even if you're betting five bucks, everyone should have enough money to keep like 20, 30, 50 bucks in a couple sports books. And if you if you can't, then you shouldn't be betting five a game, you're betting $1 a game and then keep keep 10 bucks in each sports book, right? Agreed 100%. Appreciate everyone out there listening. Please follow our Twitter account at Circles Off. You'll get alerts when our episodes go live. Subscribe on YouTube. And if there's some suggestions you have for the show going forwards, hit us up in the comments as well. We do read all of them and we take those into advisement as well. This has been episode 58 of Circles Off. <laughs>